This is a made-up intro to like some kind of show. All right, welcome back to the Ideas Digest podcast. The pilot episode of a very, uh, very first segment attempt with very good friend Matt Potts. We're taking a new approach at exploring challenging ideas. Matt, say hello to everybody. Hello, hi, Ideas Digest. Matt, somebody that I have these these conversations with. He's someone who enjoys a good conversation. And and some people go, man, every, everything's getting a bit heated here. And Matt and I are like, what? What yeah, are you talking about? We're not reading the room. We're <laughs> like, why is everyone leaving? Oh. That's, that's right. We're the only two left in the room. So we thought we'd just create a room with just us. And yep. if you want to leave at any time, you're in a safe space where you are listening. Yeah, we don't even have like, it's not even live, right? So you can't even offend us. So. Just That's leave. right. We thought we'd try a new approach at exploring these challenging ideas. And Matt, we've we've been talking and I've been exploring ideas around Islam. Now, nothing more challenging or triggering than the topic of Islam. It's kind of taken a back seat thanks to COVID, but I still think it's up there. Yeah, I mean, it was huge, right? Particularly in the like that that previous decade with ISIS and obviously everything we went through post 9-11, um, Afghanistan. I mean, these things are huge political things. And then I guess COVID's distracted us all. Um, but it is such an emerging, yeah, just even in the psyche, I think it's just in that underlying psyche of like fear. Uh, what is this thing, particularly from like a liberal democracy? How do we get our head around it? And um, how did this thing, I mean, how did this caliphate come out of Syria and just, and why were there people from, it wasn't just, you know, developing countries, people that were going there, People from Australia, people from America, some of the most liberal, educated people were getting behind this thing. And it, it did my head. I, I remember just sitting on like Vice, watching YouTube documentaries, trying to get my headspace in as to what the heck would drive someone to, you know, to, to join this thing. I think it's one of these topics that isn't going away. And once COVID dies down, I think it's going to be back at the forefront, especially considering the recent development in Afghanistan and the handing of the keys back to Al-Qaeda. Here you are. We had it for 20 years. Uh, there you are. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I don't, <laughs> I don't think it's going anywhere. So, Matt, the least we can do is try and understand the different perspectives around this thing called Islam and the many different um, categories that get collapsed into the word Islam and the religion of Islam. So, I've read a book. This book I've read, I'd like to share you with you a journey of somebody who went from conservative Islam to athe atheist, I suppose, and it's a very interesting journey. Right, interesting. Is this like a recent book? Where, where did you find it? What, like, tell us how you found the story. So this book I've come across is by a woman named Yasmin Muhammad, and she writes about her journey um, in, inside of and then out of Islam and, and becoming an atheist. So what, what is interesting there is that this Islam and politics is in the title of the book. So the book is called Unveiled and then the subtext to the book, the hook to get people in, uh, is how Western liberals empower radical Islam. So instantly oh. we're thrown into the political divide, Matt. I, have, I, have I got you? Yeah, wow. Unveiled is a really interesting title as well. So I'm guessing, yeah, it's loaded. Unveiled yeah. to the to the burqa. Yes, good parallel there. But yeah. it's like, Matt, are you a Western liberal? Because if, if so, you're empowering radical Islam. And the 
intro to the book, she actually talks about, before she wrote this book, she was watching Bill Maher's show, you know, the HBO panelist mm. type show that talk about politics. And on that panel was Sam Harris and a few other guys. I know Sam Harris, yes. And the prominent horseman of the apocalypse, Sam Harris, and Ben Affleck, the Batman. Ben Not the best Affleck. Batman, but the Sam Batman. Sam Harris ben and Ben Affleck. I was not <laughs> expecting that. Is that a fair matchup? I was just imagining Pearl Harbor and then the Sam Harris and his sort of like monotone thing coming out narrating yeah. over the top and it's just not working for me. Yeah. So, so she's watching this and you can look it up on YouTube, anyone listening. It's an interesting exchange, but she says that this is the epitome of the conversation around Islam in the West. It's that liberals are happy to critique the abuses of power, the abuses of women, the sexual assaults within Christianity, but they're not willing to call the same... Um, they're, they're not willing to hold true to their liberal values when it comes to Islam. They're not calling um, imams out on sexual abuse or oppressing women and all of those things. And she says in this exchange, Ben Affleck comes to the defense saying, Sam Harris, you can't say that. That's racist, blah, blah, blah. And so she's watching this, giving her experience that I'm just about to share with you. And she goes, nah, all right, I'm going to write this book. And I think mm. she actually reached out to Sam Harris and Sam Harris actively encouraged her saying, write this book. I can't wait. And I think he might've even written a forward to it or something like that. So she's kind of connected to Sam Harris in that world there. So have I, have I got you in now? No, for sure. And it's interesting, Sam. Yeah. Sam Harris is a guy that I think walks around with a bodyguard because of some of his comments on, on Islam in general. So, you know. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's true. Fact check me. Anyway, dive okay. into the story. <laughs> okay. Yasmeen Muhammad. Um, I'll give her family background to try and set this scene here. Her mother's father's uncle, so her grandfather's uncle, uh, was the first president of Egypt. Okay, wow. So that's actually pretty prominent. So mega rich, that's kind of the takeaway from that. Her mother, her mother was, the, um, was the first daughter of this rich guy's second wife. So he had a couple of wives and then her mom was one of those wives and now you've got Yasmin who is the grandchild. So her mum lived in a lot of money, kind of went to uh, Catholic schools, pretty rich, pretty well off, not not very strict Muslim upbringing at all, even though I think this was in Egypt. They grew up in Egypt. I think I kind of might have missed that or it wasn't very prominent. So that's kind of where her mother comes from. And in the end, the father ends up leaving. He can't handle all these wives or whatever. He leaves back to somewhere else. And the mother's left alone with, with three kids. And she's left alone in Canada. So they're, they're in Canada now. And the mother's feeling depressed, feeling alone, struggling. I think has this like, my identity comes from a man, like really needs to be attached to a man. So she meets a man at the local mosque. Now, Yasmin comes to know this man as Uncle Monia. Mm. Now, Yasmin's mother marries this man and she now knows as Uncle Monia. And this is where the story begins. Her... Mother turns out to be Uncle Monia's second wife. So he's in Canada and he's got a couple of wives, maybe even more than the two. And how this kind of works, she describes in Canada, is that she would apply for uh, assistance from the government, being a single mother. Right. And then Uncle Monia would kind of get that money and give them a little bit of money and support them, but from the money the government's giving. That's how she describes this polygamy happening within Canada in a country where polygamy isn't isn't technically legal. And so this man, Uncle Monir, he would he would come over every every now and then. And 
the first time he walks into their house, because they're living separately at this stage, the, the mother and the kids and Uncle Monir and his other family are living separately. And he walks into Yasmin's house and the first thing he does is just destroys the record player, burns it, snaps mm. it, just wrecks everything. And he's saying, this is haram, this is forbidden. She essentially works out that this man only shows up for two things, to have sex with her mum and to beat the kids. And so she describes some horrific abuse that she has like she gets she gets like tied to the bed at, at six years old and this man like with a belt just beats the bottom of her feet so i guess to hide the the evidence i guess and so she couldn't even walk across the, the ground without these blisters just bursting and kind of bleeding so oh imagine God. i guess not not being able to walk so um and her mother she would look to her mother at six years old and her mother would just do nothing she she mm. was just like why aren't you stopping this random man who i've just met from from beating me and the the childhood she describes before her mother married this man was more like uh it wasn't really strict conservative muslim upbringing at all like none of this stuff really happened it only happened once she married this man and so at six years old she's like what is going on this this man just comes in and beats me and he was beating her for not memorizing the the surahs properly or the chapters of the quran properly so he's like you need to recite them properly by next time and or there'll be another beating, essentially. Um, no questions so far? No, I mean, I was the whole like burning of the records thing was just reminding me of some of my old fundamentalist days as well when I'm like deleting okay. all the movies, deleting all the audio. <laughs> so I'm like, I connected with him and then it just went to the next level. I was like, oh, okay, and well, the, yeah. Now I can't. Now the, I can't connect now the, this. The, 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 the uh, connection's definitely f- way gone from, from me as well. Um, and so, I, like, I felt for this kid, like, looking at your mother and then your mother kind of doing nothing. Um, and her, her mother would say, she, she would say, why are you beating me? Why are you letting this man just come in and beat me? And she goes, listen, being beaten is better than you being tortured in hell forever. She would mm. describe, like, you're, when you're in hell, your flesh is going to melt and it's just horrible. And this is going to keep you from going to hell. So this little girl, she's like, oh, okay. And over the time, this continued... Until they moved in, their family, the mother and the three kids, Yasmin being one of them, moved in with Uncle Monia and his first family. Uh-huh. So they move into his house, into the basement. Now, obviously, his first wife didn't love this, but being in the whatever family structural dynamic that they have, uh, too bad. That's just, mm. that's just the way it goes. And each week, like she describes life as they would have these family meetings and all the kids would sit on the floor, all the adults would be sitting up and these family meetings would end with someone getting beaten, whether for maybe stuffing up dinner or um, not memorizing something, missing a prayer, like really trivial, but very religiously charged things. Like if you say the wrong thing or um, miss a prayer, you like you get a pretty heavy beating. And I guess it's not just like, I mean, I got, I got hit when I was a kid, but nothing like this, like a a smack, but this is like a, I think it's a full on beating. I can just imagine as well. Like you, I know from even just being an ex pastor, you know, there's some of these abusive scenarios that can emerge of just control and and particularly people that are victims of this, just the the pain and the, just the torture of the enabling of it in the household as well. Like what she's saying of like, why did you not do anything? Like you saw this, but you did nothing. Um, so this is just sounding like a horrific circumstance, very traumatic thing for her. Like, 
And it gets worse, Matt. <laughs> oh it, it gets worse. So where I'm describing this like physical abuse, but obviously there's like spiritual abuse, if you yeah. want to call like the manipulation of, of religion to justify this for such a young girl. And so as she's grown up, she, she says being raised as a woman, a Muslim woman is a fate worse than hell um, for, from her experience. So she, her mother would like just scold her like, don't laugh like that. You're a girl. Don't sit like that. You're a girl. Lower your eyes. You're a girl. So because she's not even meant to look at men in the eyes at all and so she would be cooking for eight people every night she'd be cooking for this family and her family um and their job as the family was to guard her virginity and and essentially like protect her hymen that's how she puts it like this is this is our goal like their only value is in the virginity let's protect that at kind of all costs and yasmin kind of struggled more than her brother and sister her brother and sister kind of went along with it did what needed but she as a kid she would ask these questions challenge a little bit but too much and that's why she kind of got all these brutal brutal beatings so at this time she's attending a canadian school still um and she loves it because she's just not at home so technically so yasmin wasn't actually allowed to have any non-muslim friends because that's forbidden and her mum would make her siblings and stuff come home for recess and lunch so they just wouldn't be around these people. But in grade four, her mum, uh, in grade four, she actually told her mum that um, that her father was sexually abusing her. So Uncle Monir turns out to be actually sexually abusing her as well. Um, and obviously the same reaction from the mother, kind of ignore it, says you're lying, like you're, you're making this up. Kind of really... It's, it's a crazy dynamic she's describing with her mom who is almost putting her in this, like deliberately wanting her to get abused in these, in these crazy ways. But she just, as a little girl, just wants her mom's love and affection. And that's, that's kind of it. Um, and one day she was caught writing her name Jasmine instead of Yasmin. So that's the Jasmine was the Canadian translation of it. And her father's just furious, well, stepfather, whatever, furious, takes her into the garage, like grabs her, just drags her into the garage, binds her hands with a rope, binds her feet with rope, hangs her upside down, pulls a chair over, grabs the belt and starts whipping the bottom of her feet. Now at this point, she's learned to like disassociate, just be like, I don't know what happens psychologically when you're just under that much pain. You Mm. just, you just, they, they, she describes it as like third person view, just like my body's being beaten. I can't feel anything anymore. But this makes things worse because she's now no longer responding. And this this Uncle Maneer is like confused. He's like, is she threatening my manliness? Is she, you know, obviously I'm not beating her hard enough. So he flips a belt around. He uses like the, the metal part of the buckle and just beating her feet. Um, and in the end, she's passed out. She's gone. And then she wakes to her mother screaming like, oh, you've killed, uh, you've killed my daughter. But she's not thinking like, oh, no, she's upset because I she thinks I'm dead. She's upset because she doesn't know what to do now. She's upset because she's like, what are we going to do now? We've got a, like, she's afraid of maybe getting in trouble. Not that her daughter is dead. And so that's, that's how she sees that play out. Um, now, obviously um, through the abuses, she learns to just like give out screams to just make him feel satisfied with the beating and not, fully dissociate so that he'll eventually stop. And um, just to finally lay the groundwork of this kind of indoctrination um, that she was handed, um, a lot of like, obviously the things about hell she's taught, how she's Mm. supposed to be, but also very like anti-Semitic things as well. She's her mum's at the shops one day looking at these cucumbers that are smaller now than they were 
I don't know, a month ago or something. And she's told explicitly, oh, this is because the Jews are putting cancer into the vegetables. So this is the kind of stuff like on a regular basis. And at nine, this is the point where, where she's forced to wear a hijab and continue uh, her, I guess, religious indoctrination. So this is kind of where we come to her first attempt at escape, where you say, you're saying like, okay, she's in Canada. Aren't there laws against this? How are the police not stopping this? What is going on? She's going to a, a public school. What's happening? So in grade eight, so this has been going on for a long time. One of the teachers sees the bruises on her arms mm. and he begins to question. He's like, what kind of what's going on? So as a teacher, he's got to like mandatorily report and Yasmin kind of opens up to him and he start and starts saying, yeah, this is what's happening. I've been, you know, sexually abused, consistently beat, blah, blah, blah. And he prepares her and he goes, listen, are you prepared for this? Like if, if this goes through, you're going to have to testify in court and it might end up with you being in foster care. And she's just stoked. She's like, yes, this is exactly what I want. Oh, no. Her will hasn't been completely broken yeah, yet. Amazing. She's like, how old was she at this so, point? I'm so I guess grade eight would be like 13 or Oh, yeah. So when 14. I was before, like there's hotlines, I didn't realize how young she was. That's, an, yeah. That's amazing. Yes. That she's having this, this realization at that age. That's yeah. She, she must have some like, I guess being at Canadian schools, she must be looking around going, not everybody seems to be going through this and piecing that together. And her will hasn't been completely destroyed yet. Yeah. So she follows through with this. And she's reported, the, I guess the teacher fills in the necessary paperwork. They've set a court date and then she tells her mother and her mother just loses it. She's obviously the consistent verbal abuse, the physical abuse. She said her mother spat on her and she, she'll say things like, I pissed you out. You are nothing. So this is abuse coming from her mother. Um, and so... Like it, and, and I'm only like skimming these details. Like if, like in this book, I think it's the way she outlines just the, the way her prison's built is very like sadly, sadly laid out. Um, but really kind of understands how I suppose this all comes, yeah. this all happens. Um, and so when her day in court comes, so they go to court, okay, come on Canadian system, you're a liberal democracy. Let's, let's sort this out. Her brother gets on the stand lies her sister gets on the stand lies the mother gets on the stand lies um they all just say oh the beatings aren't that bad you know she's obviously making it up she's exaggerating and then it comes to the judge's judgment because obviously he sees something's up the teachers reported on it mm -hmm. it's bruising all these sorts of things and so we go come on justice system don't let these don't let this little yasmin down uh, and the judge says, okay, well, corporal punishment, I guess smacking your kids isn't technically illegal. And because of cultural differences, I can understand that it's probably more severe than we kind of soft liberal people are used to. But because of cultural differences, it's probably just a bit more severe. It's probably not that bad. Case is dismissed. Her one chance, oh. her one shot, like your heart just breaks. Oh, man. Like 13, 14 years old, done. Her hope is gone. And she says at this point, suicidal thoughts begin. And she's now, um, she says this is where that will that she described, like asking questions, challenging, probably the reason why she copped so many beatings. That's where she's saying she just started to break. And that was kind of gone. She just kind of went along with it because she had no other option, essentially. So now moving into like, I guess, teenager adulthood for Yasmin, poor Yasmin. And... 
She was essentially, that all continued, sadly, and then her mother would threaten to marry her off. That's like the next stage. You're a girl, this is what you do, We're gonna, I'm going to marry you off. And she tried to marry her off to her first cousin in Egypt. Like, marry your cousin. Mm. And Yasmin's like, hell no, I'm not marrying my cousin. No. And just refused and was, was a bit difficult. Uh, then they tried to marry to her second cousin, obviously, no. Now, throughout this book, I think the... Cra- the a lot of like my anger when I'm reading this book, I'm like, what is going on? Uh, like, is 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 like at her mother? Like, yeah. who is this woman to be doing this? And this relationship she has with her mother is this like, she just wants to please her. All she wants is her mother's love, and her mother just keeps just being abusive. And this continues for so long, where I'm almost like, how do you not realize this woman's a monster? And will you ever let that go? And and. Mm. It ju- it's just like there's this strong need for love from her mother. And I think maybe because of this, her mother wore her down emotional manipulation, lots of verbal abuse as usual. Um, and she essentially caves in and her mother finds a man. And she is weirdly stoked on this guy that um, she finds for Yasmin. She's like, this man is the best. You don't know what a great man is. I know what a great man is. If you let him go, like really just super into this guy and so the wedding day she she agrees she's like maybe finally mum will love me if i just give in and give her what she wants and i'll marry this man he seemed okay at the beginning and her wedding day comes tears crying and she describes this as pretty normal just tears doesn't want to obviously marry him uh, but they're married now and then obviously the marital obligations come she just kind of describes it as like forced sexual abuse and like, I don't want to be here. This is not something I want, but he's my husband. This is the way it is now. And uh, I'll read some of the book of her interactions, her husband, her now husband, how he interacts with her and how it just begins to, I guess, escalate from here. So he, uh, Yasmin was living in the same building as her mom and mom's on the fourth, fourth floor. Her and her new husband are on the 17th floor, 17 stories up. And so I'll just, I'll just read this. So she goes, within the first week of our marriage, he, became, he came home to find the curtains wide open on a bright sunny day. And he says, are you a whore? She's like, what? I had no idea what he was referring to. You don't want the whole world to see you parading around here with your hair uncovered. And she says, I haven't, I haven't left this apartment all day. He's like, the windows. You don't, know, you don't think... You don't think people can see you? Do you think it's only one way? Are you stupid walking around here like a stupid naked whore? And she's like, it's the 17th floor. No one can see 17 floors up and in. Are you worried about someone heli- someone in a helicopter flying? And then he hit me. I, was com- I wasn't completely surprised as I'd become accustomed to being hit my whole life. It was more like disappointment, like, oh, great, this again. I didn't think that marrying him would be an escape from my abusive life, but it would have been a nice surprise. So now we see the kind of guy that she's been forced to marry. Um, And sadly, Matt, it gets worse. Oh, my. Uh, You certainly brought me in on the most (laughs) crushing episode to listen to, dude. This is insane. It's, it's, it's absolutely brutal. And, and maybe this kind of, I don't know, like reading this, I'm like, I really understand everything you're thinking, like understanding this story. Um, and so obviously she went down to her mother and saying, he hit me. I don't want this. She's like, he's your, his property. He can do whatever he wants. She doesn't care. Obviously she's never cared. Mm -hmm. And then 
she gets pregnant, which makes things more complicated and worse. Um, and then her, her husband and her mother all move in together. Moved in, they moved into the house. He papered up all of the windows. And now she had to wear the full burqa and I think like the niqab. Is that the full on only eyes, kind of gloves, everything. You can only like look through a little letterbox there. Um, she now saw no one, talked to no one, never left home. She couldn't go anywhere without him. Um, she was now at this point like a full on prisoner. And she, I'd say now she's 22. And she... Gave birth to a new baby girl and in order to try and once again win this approval of her mother, uh, she um, she named her daughter after her mother being like, maybe her mother won't treat her like she's treated me if she's that narcissistic. And it worked. She treated her daughter a lot, a lot better. So I guess it, it, it kind of continues the, the abuse, um, like it describes that classic abuse where she's just, you know, looking up something in in a phone book or something, singing A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And he's like, what the hell are you doing? Um, and just backhands her. She's like, you can't sing. That's forbidden. So like she now knows, doesn't even know what she can and can't do. Just kind of living in fear. She's a prisoner. She's trapped essentially. Like, so she's now living with this man, but essentially raising this child as a single mother She's living with her mother, but now she's serving her mother, her husband, and trying to raise her child, uh, but she's doing it all herself. And one day she's changing her daughter and her husband comes in and looks over and he's like, have you cleaned her? And she's like, what? Yeah, I've just bathed her. Of course she's clean. The mother's there too. And she's like, no, no, we don't do that yet. She's not old enough. And all of a sudden it clicks. He's talking about female genital, genital mutilation. And he's saying, well, at the first chance, we'll take her to Egypt and we'll get it done. And this is the point where she describes is the switch. She's like, okay, he's abused me, but no one is ever going to harm this child. Mm. There's no way. And that begins her now journey of like, how do I escape? What's the way out of this? Her daughter's provided her that, that motivation to like, I've got to say, it's not just about me. I've got to save my daughter from going through what I went through. Where are they living um, at this current point? Sorry. Like British Columbia, I think. They're still in Canada. BC, so. Canada. They're still in Canada. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this is in the forefront of her mind. And one day her husband is out and her mother starts coughing up blood and like, a lot of blood's coming out and she's like, this is not good. And her mother's like, call 911. So she calls the cops or uh, the ambulance. And then she's like, hang on, like, am I allowed to go with my mum to the hospital? I just don't like, she doesn't know, but she's like, all right, I'm going. Um, and so while she's waiting in the hospital, waiting for her mum, she's been taken into ER and two people approach them and she's thinking, are they doctors? Um, are you going to give me some information about my mum? And they say, no, uh, we're actually from the CSIS. So that's, I guess that's the Canadian CIA, the Canadian Securities Intelligence uh, Services. Yeah. And, and they now start telling her, they go, your, your husband um, is actually an Al-Qaeda operative. So she discovers at this point that her husband uh, is an extremist and part of Al-Qaeda. And so the government's been monitoring them. Yes. And so... I wonder if this, so they call 9911 and it's like, was the government aware of this? What was happening? Like what? 
we don't she know. She doesn't that. describe like the government being aware of her abuses, but just the fact that they were monitoring him and yeah. I guess then knew about her. And they start questioning him and say, questioning her, sorry, they start questioning Yasmin and saying, has he ever mentioned Osama bin Laden? Now we're talking pre 9 11. Oh, wow. This is, this is what's happening pre 9 11. And it, it turns out that her husband has now been declared uh, a extremist or a criminal in Egypt. So if he goes back to Egypt, he's going to jail. And Canada now obviously know about this, but because whether because they're trying to get more information or because they're trying to, uh, they can't, they don't have the laws, like different standard of proofs. Maybe they don't have the exact proof to, to arrest him. He's still kind of on the loose and they're, they're monitoring. She, they ask her questions. She doesn't really know anything. She, he's always like, she thinks back in retrospect and, and she didn't tell the officers this, but she remembers hearing him on the phone lots of times, just mentioning 9-11 and laughing. And then she would go, what's this about? And he would say, just get out, just leave the room. So that's like a retrospective, like, was he aware of what was going to happen on 9-11? I don't know. Bit of a bit of a mm. um, hint there. And so her husband essentially is a terrorist. So was he trained in Afghanistan? We don't, we don't like, there was no indication of that. He grew up in Egypt. Did he? So he grew up, oh, I see. This is where I. It doesn't really matter, I guess, but it's. He grew up somewhere near Egypt and she mentions that he had some history of like training. He would say to her, oh, I trained children for self-defense. Yeah. Okay. That's kind of what he was saying there. Um, And he obviously hated the Egyptian government and, uh, she just thought, well, of course, the Egyptian government's not that great, you know. Of, of course, like it doesn't get a red flag that you're a, you're a terrorist. He and he would say things like, "You got to do what you got to do to survive." So these are all like hints. It doesn't really go into it, um, but I would assume so. I'd assume trained by Al Qaeda and is now um, deliberately come to Canada for nefarious purposes. I would I would assume. Now at this point, she's like, okay, I really I really got to get out of here. So now she's thinking, how can I escape? And then. She gets pregnant again. And this pregnancy, she's like, oh no, I'm trapped. Like my way out, how am I going to raise? Like it gets infinitely harder with another baby that she has to support single-handedly. And one day because she didn't, she didn't cook his dinner right or do something, he just starts beating her. And she's like, stop. Like you're going to hurt the baby. You're going to kind of um, do some damage. And he just doesn't care. He just keeps, I think she's on the ground at this point. He's just laying boot into her. So these are the, the level of abuse. Um, and obviously he goes to the doctor and it, like more bad news, that baby is now died. And so she's, she's miscarried that baby. And so this is like another like solid rock bottom where she goes, now I absolutely have to leave as soon as possible. So this doesn't happen again. I've got to get out of here. And she says, okay, I need to go live with my mother to look after my baby and recover. And he goes, okay, that's fine. So he goes, she goes back to her mother now. Um, Because at some point, I guess, they moved out and now she's gone back with her mother. And one day her mum's out and she now calls lawyers and she's going, how can I get a divorce and a restraining order? What's the processes? And now she's going through that process. She she goes in, she's terrified. She's like full niqab, dressed up, going into the lawyers. The lawyers know she's coming and they're really proficient. So maybe this is the best of the Canadian system. They're like, here's the paperwork. Here's this. You can't call me. Uh, so you do all this paperwork, then we'll serve the paperwork and we'll get it all underway. And the first bit of good news of the story, she 
files the paperwork. She has to wait a year because he won't obviously sign the papers. They have to wait a year for it to go through without him signing the papers. But essentially, it's it's been done. And she calls him saying, all right, we're, we're getting a divorce. And he's like, I don't care. You're my wife in heaven. I'm going to ask for you. I, like, you're, you're only divorced if I say we're divorced. So under God, we're married. I'm going to torture you forever in heaven kind of thing. So more like hectic, hectic spiritual or whatever abuse. Like it's, it's horrible. But she's, she's like, I've got to get out to save, to save my daughter. So is she currently, she's still practicing herself at this point? Is she, there's no questions, there's no deconstruction at this point, or it's just pure survival? So I suppose her religious journey is more just, it's always seems to be this survival. It's always been, you pray because you pray. You yeah, say right. this thing because you say, it's this ritualized, this is what hell is. Okay, that's what hell is. She's never had the space to believe like it's almost like she doesn't believe it she's just told that's the way it is Mm. so it's almost like how can you question it if you've never if you don't even know that there's an alternative i suppose um and so she she calls her husband breaks it off and she's living with her mother at the moment and then he's obviously furious like she now know who's she who she's pissed off uh which is a very, very dangerous man that anyone should be afraid of. And he like goes over to like their building and he's just yelling. He's like, give me back my wife. I want my wife. You just wait until I get you. I will cut your face. You think you can leave me? No man will ever want you when I'm finished with you. You're mine. Do you hear me? You are mine. You're dead. So like explicit, brutal, hectic death threats scream at the front of her building. And she's just terrified, curled up in her little apartment, hoping that nobody just walks in and out of the building and lets him in. Cause then she's like, I'm dead. Like I'm literally dead. And so she kind of lives in fear at this point. She doesn't leave the building. She doesn't go anywhere. She doesn't do anything. Same kind of prison, but for a different reason now until the Canadian uh, secret service contact her. And they say, we need your idea photo. Uh, is this your husband? She's like, yeah, that's my husband. It turns out he'd been arrested once again, I think somewhere near Egypt, trying to go somewhere. And he's now been transferred to Egypt and he's in an Egyptian prison. So he's been arrested. The guys he was hanging out with in Canada has also been arrested. And so that's kind of the first break she's gotten. She's like, okay, so now he's not there. I guess I'm, I'm sort of free now. And this is, this is where her, her whole journey begins to shift and change. She's like, she begins to take online classes because she still can't, doesn't want to leave her house. She's still very afraid of a lot of things, but she mm. takes online classes to become a teacher. Then she takes a bit of university classes and she just describes like that more hopeful trajectory of, of discovering, meeting people, discovering world outside the world that she's grown up in. And yeah, she starts to question her religion. What is this? What am I being taught to believe? I've, I'm taught that all people who are non-Muslim are evil, but these are the nicest people. This, this lawyer helped me. This counselor has given me free sessions knowing I can't do it. She's saying, all these people are non-Muslim, but they're the most loving people I've ever kind of met. And that begins this, um, uh, that begins the deconstruction, I guess, of her world, her religion, learning how to be independent. It's, I mean, I won't go into it, but it's an amazing story of how she goes from, because she still has nothing. She still doesn't have a job, doesn't have any money, probably getting some bit of money from the Canadian government, but it's not enough to go to school to support a kid, to pay rent. Um, so it's quite a pull yourself up by the bootstraps, kind of starting from nothing to getting out of all that. 
at the same time deconstructing all the religious indoctrination that she had to the point where now she's an atheist and she speaks to people and encourages women and empowers women to break out of abusive religious fundamentalism. Um, yeah. Wow. What a story. <laughs> it's a devastating story. It's just, there's so many thoughts going through my mind of just amazing. Like, you know, for, for her to come from that level of abuse, to turn it around to, it's just like, it's incredible. What a, what a woman, I think mm. like, and then you just think, I'm glad this happened in Canada because this story is outplaying around the world, but it's not happening in Canada where there's a social, you know, social safety net for her to re-educate and to, and a legal system to protect her. And so, yeah, I mean, I mean, what was you've, where, where did you feel when you landed with the book? I mean, I guess there's someone like uh, Sam Harris that hates Islam in a, mm. in, in a majority. Like he finds, because we can be all tolerant of these belief systems and then in its extreme form, it can create something like this. But mm. the DNA with, of its abuse is still within it. Like it's not, it's mm. not that all people are obviously Muslim or all people is, that practice Islam do not do this. So this is not everyone, but there is an element where patriarchy gets just corrupted with a fundamentalist interpretation of some scripture. And then you have this level of, and layers of abuse. So what mm. was your response, I guess, finishing the book and going, did you like Islam at the end? Or were you were just like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when I put myself like that, that's always the question. And when you say like, do you like Islam? The question always seems to be like, what are we describing as Islam? Because when I enter her journey and her story, mate, this is some like criminal level of human rights abuses that nobody ever in the world should ever perpetrate or suffer from. And so when you, when I'm reading this book and her journey, I, cause when I first came across Yasmeen Mohammed, I saw her on shows like Dave Rubin. So I don't mm. know if you're politically on a political YouTuber, um, but he's what, like a, bit of a pro-Trump kind of guy, like this right wing, people would accuse them of being Islamophobic, right? And so I might click on that video and going, oh, like just ragging on Islam, you know, and this is, I guess this is her critique of the left is as I'm watching that going, oh, you're being a bit racist. Not everyone's like that. And then I read her story and I'm like, I really get like, I understand like Western liberal to like values and our systems failed her on multiple occasions. Mm. I guess you could say that someone might say, Oh, well in the end they kind of worked, but yeah, like after a lifetime of abuse and that judge could have prevented it all. Like a lot of it, I suppose if, cause I guess in that moment, that's where she kind of throughout the book is having these consistent digs at the wokeness, I suppose of liberalness that doesn't allow us to have the hardline critique that she puts out there that says, this is an abomination. It should not exist. And we should not stand for like the subjugation of women, making women like, like, or support any kind of worldview that says a woman is man's property and he can literally kind of do whatever he does. I suppose 
I mean, that's where you end up getting into the debate of like, is it happening? Is it not happening? Are liberals actually doing this? I don't know. So I, I guess I'd, mm. I, don't, I can't disagree with anything she's kind of, with she's yeah, saying. I mean, like, I mean to her, two, two white Islam. guys in a free country yeah. uh, trying yeah. to, you know, like, you know, we can, we have really nothing to say, you know. Nothing, nothing. nothing I'm just say. like, <laughs> that's the worst experience I've ever heard. I literally can't even imagine it. Mm. But I get, okay. Mm. Yeah. Now just jump in here. Conrad and Matt go for another 20 minutes or 30 minutes or so chatting about the book. And if you're interested in hearing that full conversation, you can follow the links in the description or on Instagram and you can subscribe and then jump that little paywall and you'll get access to that bonus behind the scenes type content, I guess. Or send me a DM. But if you've made it this far in the episode, I would love to hear your thoughts and feedback on this episode, on potentially a format like this where we go deep dive into someone's journey, uh, perhaps before we interview the person. So send me a DM. I'd love to hear what you think about it. Next week, I will be releasing the full interview with Yasmin Mohammed. So keep an eye out for that one. And I think that's all I wanted to jump in for. I'll hand it now back to Matt and Conrad for the wrap up. This is a, a pilot segment. I've just, you know, spent some time reading a book, telling you about the book. What'd you think? Was it completely rubbish? Not worth your time? Or you're like, mm, this is actually pretty interesting, engaging. Would love to hear your thoughts. And people are thinking, who's this bloody Matt guy? And why should I listen to him? Oh boy, we will have an, we will have an ap- episode where Matt bears all. Wow. What might that look like, Matt? Quite an awkward story of my old Matty Pot story. Quite different to hers, but it's... um, It's its own version of religious fundamentalism. Yeah, yes. there's my own version of religious fundamentalism and okay. my own wrestle. Similar wrestle where we landed in the sense of, is this Islam's fault? Or in my case, is this Christianity's fault? Mm. You know, or is it a little from column A, a little from column B? Well, thanks... Matt, for joining me on this fun. brand new pilot. We, mo- we may do more, so send in some feedback. We may never do it again if everyone's like, no, please never do this again. We will listen to those one-star reviews. Might even read them. Uh, but <laughs> thanks for tuning in. Leave some thoughts. And well, I actually, I don't know if, I think the next episode might be my chat with Yasmin Mohammed. So check that out. And if you think I should have asked her any questions, get in now and, and let me know what you want me to ask. I've already done the interview, so it yeah, won't matter, like, but do it anyway. 